Welcome to In Your Head Wrestling Radio on the Internet Icon, the pride of the Pilgrims, most honest man in all of podcasting, Jackie Jones. And joining me right now, he might be wondering why after that intro. I don't know. Uh, New York best-selling author, uh, wrestling expert, New York Times best-selling author, TV producer, and uh, he's also the father of the great Dylan Mars Greenberg. Well, you have Keith Elliott Greenberg here. It's very cool to have you with me. Pleasure to be here. I didn't realize that your fandom extended to Dylan. You're you're clearly a fan of trauma, right? Yes, yes. I've interviewed Dylan many times on my horror podcast, and I'm friends with Dylan. So I'm yeah. to bring that up. Yeah. She was very happy when I mentioned you were on. She's like, that's my dad. I was like, yeah. And that's great. That's great. <laughs> so follow the buzzards it's right up here. Pro wrestling in the age of COVID-19 which is a really good book. I read it. I'm not just saying that because you're here, but I, it's uh, really interesting because... I wouldn't care if you did say it just because I was here, <laughs> as long as point. you said it. <laughs> good point. Uh, but I like to tell people that. Though I do have uh, people who listen to both shows normally will say I shouldn't say that because if I don't say that, they kind of get the idea that I probably didn't like whatever I'm talking about. Right. right. <laughs> but but uh, what I like about a short period of time with the backdrop of everything that's been going on socially, politically in the last few years. Uh, you're asking me what I think of this? Well, I, I mean, I was just saying that's what I like about the book. Cause it's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what time, the book's about. Yes. It's more than just uh, wrestling. Right. It, and it, it reminds me, you know, I was trying to uh, grab inspiration from other sources, which I always do. Sometimes even when I'm writing, it might be the music I listen to, to put me in a certain mood. But there was, um, you know, a book that later became a, a mini series on ESPN, ladies and gentlemen, The Bronx is Burning. And it was about, you know, it's particularly the mini series was about the Yankees World Series run in 1977. But uh, the son of Sam murders and the and the B New York City blackout and the riots were all part of, you know, the backdrop mm -hmm. to the Yankees World Series run. And it actually, I think uh, being, a, you know, a marquee team in such a tense time fueled the energy, both positive and negatively in the locker room. And I think a parallel can be made to pro wrestling during COVID because we had an American presidential election going on. The perhaps, well, certainly the most contentious election in my lifetime, yeah. in your lifetime, um, we had Brexit going on in, in the UK and we had an international pandemic and we had George Floyd and within the world of wrestling, we had the speaking out movement. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of real world events intruding on professional wrestling. 
and professional wrestling wore those things. You couldn't, even though there was a deliberate effort made by both WWE and AEW, never to mention Trump by name and divide your audience. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we we felt those tensions. And, um, you know, I think that what we saw on television or at, at, at indie shows reflected what was going on in the world, undoubtedly. Yeah, actually, along those lines, then, was there anyone who wanted you not to mention certain political, uh, not to mention Trump or kind of give? Not no, his- I wasn't. First of all, ECW Press, which stands for Essays on Canadian Writing, not Extreme Championship Press, right. sadly. Yeah. Um, but uh, ECW Press, though, is a Canadian uh, op- outfit and uh, they had no issue with me mentioning what was going on in the world politically. And I tried as much as possible to be objective, uh, but a lot of what was going on was pretty outrageous. As I say in the first chapter, it was hard to distinguish what was real and what was wrestling. Mm -hmm. Now, um, when you go into writing this, you you don't foresee all this happening. So, like, uh, what did you seek out to do? Well, uh, you know, my last book was too sweet inside the indie wrestling revolution. And that culminates with um, the first uh, AW Dynamite taping. And you have Joey Janela, Marco Stunt, Orange Cassidy and Jungle Boy leaving a GCW show, an indie show in Asbury Park and then driving down to uh, to to Washington, D.C. for the premier AW Dynamite broadcast. And um, I'm like, okay, this is a cliffhanger because if, you know, this is read 50 years from now, how's this going to end? And so I uh, asked the uh, executive editor, Michael Holmes, I said, I really need to write a sequel. And, you know, we we came to an agreement. You know, I signed a contract and then COVID hit. By the time I was done writing the epilogue, we were in the pandemic. And so I said, that's going to be the book. It's going to be pro wrestling in the age of COVID-19. And I was kind of hoping that, you know, I could compact everything into 2020. You know, by 2021, we had a vaccine. I thought that maybe COVID was ending, but COVID still went on for a while. You know, we still were watching um, WWE matches from the Thunderdome. You know, there still uh, weren't, you know, full crowds anywhere. I went to WrestleMania in 2021, and it's in the book, when, you know, maybe 30,000 of the fans that we saw were actually wooden cutouts in the in the, the, the football stadium in Tampa. So it was still very much the COVID era. Now, look, two of my friends have COVID currently, but it's not the same mm-hmm. as when, you know, there was a fear that you were going to end up in the hospital on a ventilator. And I think that's largely because a lot of people are vaccinated, even though a guy in Queens just told me that uh, the vaccine gives you pancreatic cancer. Yeah. As someone on social media, I see a lot of uh, very bizarre um, uh, uh, out- outlooks on, on, the, on everything. Uh, not just uh, the vaccine, but it's a, it's very strange times. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what you've done a lot of books, you know, about longer periods of time. I was wondering because I actually like uh, wrestling books when they are a shorter period of time because you get so much detail. But mm, what's yeah. the difference when you're writing like someone's whole like not their life story but their career over like that i mean it's a really great question and i've never been asked that before but um let's compare this to when i wrote rick flair's autobiography well you know rick flair has done a lot in his career and even at the time the book came out in 2004 you know rick flair's career was you know 30 years long and he had done more than virtually anybody else i mean sometimes he many times he wrestled twice a day. So I couldn't say, you know, and then Tuesday in 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 uh in Greens, Greensboro and Wednesday in Columbia, uh South Carolina. <laughs> three pages, right? yeah, three thousand pages. And I remember at the time there was a fan who had 
compiled a Ric Flair record book, but he wouldn't let me look at it. So, so I wasn't able to use that resource. Whereas when I wrote Superstar Billy Graham's book, there was a fan who had a Superstar Billy Graham record book who was extremely generous and he got an acknowledgement you know, and, uh, for, for doing that. Uh, so in that case, I mean, Mick Foley described the book. He said it was almost like cliff notes of Ric Flair's career. It was, you know, that was his, when he spoke to me, that was his one criticism of my work. And it, it's a vast career. So yeah, uh, so I wasn't able to detail it as, as much because you have to make it readable. People, you know, you know, people want to read a book for pleasure. Yeah, you know, there was a co-worker of mine when I was at America's Most Wanted who said he read the Ric Flair book on a plane going from Washington, D.C. to L.A. You know, that's what I want. I want people to be able to either take this book and savor it, read a chapter, put it away, do other things, come back to it, because, you know, parts of it are, are self-contained. But I also want someone to be able to pick up this book, go on a, a long plane ride, and w w when when they're landing, shut the book and go, that was a great experience. Mm -hmm. Well, what's the feedback been like so far for? Uh, well, I haven't gotten a ton of feedback because it's not the actually book, really the book comes out technically next week. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I go on Amazon every day and look for my first review. Goodreads, I've gotten a couple of reviews on there. And I will say this I can respect when. The criticism isn't mean-spirited and it's right. productive. I can actually respect it. Like somebody in uh, on, on Goodreads had a criticism that I spoke about the speaking out movement. And I deliberately did not mention any of the accusers' names because I took the approach, you know, if you're working uh, in the Special Vic Victims Bureau at the police department, you know, you don't mention a possible victim's name because then you're revictimizing them. And I certainly wouldn't want people to see a name in a book and contact the person and say, you're a liar. You made it up and revictimize a, a sexual assault, possible sexual assault victim. At the same time, I didn't want to name every single person who was accused of some type of impropriety and ruin their careers, particularly because a lot of these people have resumed their wrestling careers. So I can find uh, the, the, the stories by and large to uh, stories about wrestlers who were accused and vigorously defended themselves largely on social media. And so I spoke about Joey Ryan. I spoke about David Starr. I spoke about Marty Skrull. And I spoke about Matt Riddle. These were all people who were accused of different things who defended themselves. And, uh, you know, that was how I filled these pages. Um, and look, if you're accused, you have a right to defend yourself. Um, there was one criticism that I devoted too much ink to uh, people who were defending themselves as if I was dismissing the claims of the victims. I wasn't doing that. That's the material that was available to me. I respect that criticism, but I made my choice and I stand by it. Yeah. Um, I also liked about that uh, chapter. Um, it might be controversial to some people, but you wrote that um, there's different levels of what people are accused of. And I think that gets overlooked a lot, not just in wrestling, but well, in life. Yeah. And cancel culture. And I don't want to go on a rant about cancel culture because, look, there are people who deserve to be canceled. And in that chapter, you know, I quote a, a female wrestler who says every single person who ever harassed me was called out during during that era. So I don't think she's making that up. I think she's telling me the truth. She did. She didn't tell me any names. I didn't name those names. Mm -hmm. um, but. There are different gradations of what people are accused of. That's why when you're in court, there are different degrees by which you're charged. You know, there's first degree murder, there's second degree manslaughter, there's negligent homicide. 
And same thing when you're accused. It's one thing to make a sexist or a homophobic joke. And it's another thing to wait outside a gay bar and pummel somebody. You know, those are very different types of crimes. Um, you know, uh, if you make a gay joke, maybe somebody should get in your face and call you a jerk. But, you know, it, it doesn't mean you deserve the same punishment as a gay basher. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, there were different levels, under, uh, you know, by which people were accused. And at the same time, like I, I mentioned this in the book, at one time, at one point I went online and, you know, somebody had created a chart of sexual, you know, uh, deviance in professional wrestling. And they were accusing people of rape who'd never been, even their accusers weren't accusing them of rape. So it's like, okay, let's look at this in a sober way. And I don't want anyone to think that I am justifying any liberties that were taken with with victims because i'm not and you know i've been writing about wrestling since 1981 before i was even affiliated with wwe so you know i know what it was like back then i was around back then i saw how women were mistreated and taken advantage of i heard the guys joking about things that happened i heard guys telling me personally they were appalled by things that had happened so it's a it's a legitimate issue. This is not the final word on that issue. I want this to raise. I, I wrote this chapter primarily to raise a dialogue, and it's a dialogue that has to continue for a long time. Just like the Black Lives Matter issues, uh, need, we need to have that dialogue indefinitely. Yeah, I was glad you had it in there because I do think that some people need. Like, you can't just say everything is the same level of. Uh... You know, so everyone should be stricken from society forever, no matter what they've done. Right. And then no, there's also the no, idea of yeah. of someone, you know, being sorry and eventually, you know, you look over, you, you, you know, you accept their apology or something. Right. Right. It, you know, it depends. It, it depends on and some things you, you know, apology. It, it, and it also depends on the uh, the degree of seriousness of right. of the of the of the deed right because obviously you know, some the, things you wouldn't just be like oh he's sorry that's fine you know right he's sorry that's, that's fine because right. you know if someone is is a, a true sexual predator sorry's not enough right, you're right, going right. to do it again yeah some of this stuff to me always seems like common sense but um sometimes it's hard to talk about with it's people it's hard and look we're, we're all We've all done things we we regret too. As being a male, I'm going to say that I'm not going to confess to anything. But you know, when you write about this stuff, you think about things you've done in your own life or attitudes you've had at different times. And I've thought, Jesus, I, I was pretty backward in my perspective at that stage. Oh, you know, maybe that wasn't the wisest thing to do. That person must have felt pretty lousy. You know, I mean, that's that's human nature you're supposed to grow as a human just as i am no no longer insisting that bruno sammartino was better than roman reigns right. even though they both had their time you don't stay stuck on things you evolve you develop a taste for other things yeah i, I that's something too i wanted to mention was i i like that you're a longtime wrestling fan obviously for over decades and you still like modern professional wrestling. Well, what choice do I have? Otherwise, I'd be <laughs> That's very true. You're good to give it up. Yeah. And, and you know what I'd be doing? If, if I was even invited on a podcast, I'd be doing a nostalgia act. Right. And I don't want to do a nostalgia act. I don't feel like, even though I am an older guy, I don't feel like an old guy. And so I don't want to talk about the 70s and the 80s. Right. And oh, the Attitude Era. That's when everybody, you know, the curtain was open way too much. I liked it in the old days when it was guys in tights and boots. Now, look, there's a beauty in that too. And I can watch, you know, uh, Nature Boy Buddy Rogers versus, versus Luthez on YouTube and enjoy that immensely. Just like I can watch a great Ring of Honor pure match and enjoy that immensely. And I can get joy out of a comedy match. I think that Sami Zayn is doing some of the funniest I stuff agree. he's ever yeah. done in his career. You know, and, and I can find 
value in a death match too. And a lot of people disagree with that. Yeah. That's probably the reason why I like wrestling is there's all the different, I like a lot of the goofy silliness that I grew up with and stuff. Right. I love orange Cassidy today, but sure, then I love a, a great, like serious match. I don't, if you had one, if he was all one or the other, it would get boring. Well, I mean, he's a great athlete too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, so, you know, just to do those nip ups with your hands in your pockets, it makes him an exceptional human being. Yeah. You know, but it's great because Orange Cassidy was a guy who I was watching on the Indies when I was researching my other book. And uh, that was the one guy who never came at a character uh, when, you know, for an interview. Like when I spoke to him, look, when I would talk to him one on one, he wasn't going, yeah, sure, whatever. But he did not, uh, you know, he he would not do an interview as his real persona. And I respect him for that. Yeah, because I hear I won't name names, but people say like guys like Orange Cassidy, Dan Housen, they drive away new fans. But from what I've seen, it's the opposite because I, do I a don't lot think of that's horror. true. Yeah, because I do another horror podcast and a lot of people on there who tell me like they used to watch wrestling in the 90s and they started watching again. Almost all of them bring up Orange Cassidy and Danhausen. Seems yeah, like those Dan are the guys Housen, that bring look, in non-wrestling fans. And and Danhausen's in the book because yeah. Danhausen was very creative about how he dealt with COVID because he had become such a personality. He made money from cameo appearances and Patreon and YouTube, and he sold merch online. And people tuned in to see Danhausen in the midst of the pandemic just to be entertained and Dan Housen supported his family by doing that. Yeah. So true. fair play to Dan Housen. Yeah. Uh, along those lines, you think um, Colt Cabana and the young bucks. I mean, I would think they deserve a lot of credit for the rise of merchandise for independent wrestlers. They, they absolutely do. We're talking about indie wrestling. Yeah. yeah. And the young and bucks who are, I think who learned are a lot from Colt Cabana. Yeah. And I don't want this to now, uh, devolve into the uh, the AEW scrum. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No, we won't go. I, I'm sure everyone's uh, heard about that. Uh, quite we're a little tired of it by this point. I'm getting a little. I'm a little burnt on it. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. When it happened, I, I watched the whole thing, and I normally don't oh, watch. Oh, I did too. Look, my 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 neighbor Lee Gaynor and I. We were uh, we were over at DDT, which is a pro wrestling theme bar in. in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and we watched all out and we were jazzed, you know, yeah. we were really in a great mood, you know, it was an exciting show, you know, we, we, uh, you know, of course, you're always going to dissect the things you watch, you'll always find flaws when, when you when you watch any pay-per-view, but we were in a really wound up, you know, after watching it, and we were just talking wrestling talk, and we you know, we took an Uber back and we were, you know, talking about wrestlers we watched when we were kids. And then we were talking about all out again. And then I I went to sleep <laughs> and I wake up and I have like 10 messages from like my friends in the UK who were up, you know, yeah. up before I was. And they're like going out of their minds, you know, like talking about the scrum and i go oh it couldn't have been that big of a deal and i <laughs> right. you know i go i go online and i'm like riveted like I yeah it was the same way because i i didn't because it was like six hour show that was that was great i loved it but i didn't need to watch you know the all the scrum afterwards i went to sleep and then yeah it blew up and but right. yeah it was and, same way i was like oh my god i gotta watch this now and then i was so like wound up and i was like alone so <laughs> it's like i walk in the street it's like I walk to the bodega to get a tea and it's like I, the, the Arab guy in the, who w w works in the bodega. He doesn't know about the scrum. Like, so I can't talk about it with him. I'm looking around with <laughs> like, who am I going to talk to about this? So then I have to go like back online and talk to my friends online. Yeah. So uh, I won't ask about that, but we'll ask, do you think uh, do you think that's the end of CM Punk in AEW? I don't know. I really don't know. And I don't like to speculate. Look, yeah. I worked for WWF's magazines when Stone Cold Steve Austin um, walked out and I heard he breached his contract. And, you know, we're going to, you know, write articles about him and expose him for what he did to us. And Stone Cold Steve Austin was back. Right. So who knows? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I will say um um 
I was sad because I'm I'm a punk fan. I actually like all. I am of those too. I'm a punk age. fan. Yeah, I've been a punk fan. You know, since the beginning. Of course, I'm a punk fan, and I'm a fan of the Young Bucks. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not it's not all or nothing. Right. Yeah, but I'll say the last uh, few weeks, I thought it's been great TV. So. If the, at the worst case, those guys aren't around anymore, uh, the show is still really good. Well, here's the deal. I mean, you know, who was it? Eric Bischoff wrote that book that says controversy breeds cash or something. Yeah, it creates cash. You know, everyone was pretty wound up after that, after that media scrum. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, and it was a very exciting show, by the way, All Out. Oh, and yeah, it was yeah. a great weekend. It was a great wrestling weekend because you also had like the maybe the best match I ever saw Sheamus in at Clash of the Castle against Gunther. Yeah. And then you had that match between uh, Carmelo Hayes and Ricochet at NXT that weekend. Mm -hmm. So it was like you were like bombarded from all sides by great wrestling. Yeah. So, you know, everyone I knew was definitely going to tune in to watch uh aw that weekend mm -hmm. and mjf is back and he's yeah. he's fresh you know he's like you know he's like back with a fresh coat of paint and uh so yeah the, the enthusiasm level is high now i was at grand slam last week and um you know it wasn't twenty thousand fans like the year before but those fans who, who were there they were passionate Mm -hmm. And, you know, 12,000 fans is a good house. <laughs> right. And and those fans were into it. And those fans didn't walk out and say, all right, I tried it. I'm done. This wasn't pro wrestling USA in like the mid 80s when the NWA and AWA ganged up and they said, we're going to put Vince out of business. And I went to a, a couple of those shows at the New Jersey Meadowlands. The first one, everyone was really riled up second one was pretty good but like the fourth or fifth show people were like oh this is lame i'm not gonna do I'm, I'm just going to wwf now yeah but uh so back to your book then you know you're you're saying you know you're in the crowd everyone's into it how the first show you went back with the crowd after the pandemic or with no crowds what was that experience like? that was a gcw show and that was um that was outdoors it was the summer of 2020 and it was outdoors in the afternoon in a park in Indianapolis. And a lot of the wrestlers, as I recount in the book, you know, they'd been sitting at home just like the fans were. And so, you know, they knew they were going to be in pain that day because they hadn't bumped for three months or so. Uh, and they couldn't wait to get in the ring and get, you know, hit someone and get hit back. And the fans, of course, were starving for wrestling. So it was exhilarating. And, you know, that was still a weird time because we didn't have a vaccine yet. Yeah. And we wouldn't have a vaccine for a while. And we weren't quite sure what was safe and what safety measures were necessary. You know, there were sanitizing stations all over the place. At one point, you know, a wrestler rolled out of the ring after his match and held his hands out to the timekeeper so he could get a squirt of sanitizer. You know, people were wearing masks sitting on the lawn outside. There were pods of people sitting in groups of like four to six and then, you know, a lot of empty space on the lawn and then other pods. And, you know, people, you know, everybody was trying, you know, they were trying to do it safe. Mm -hmm. How, how do you think like highlights of that era will be handled? Like to show uh, highlights of that WrestleMania with like the fan, like it'll be, it, especially as I the years go be, by, it's going to look very odd. I mean, you know, I, I think more about WrestleMania 36, which was pre-recorded at the performance center. Yeah. That's what I mean with the fan going on. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really, you know, I don't even know if I could watch that now, you know? Um, and Drew McIntyre, I didn't get that quote from him, but I quote someone else who I quote an article where Drew McIntyre was interviewed and he said, you know, it was pre-recorded. So he didn't even know if he won the championship officially until he <laughs> saw it with his own eyes and he had to watch it at home. And he, then he took the belt out. He's like, well, I'm really the champion. It's, yeah. it's real. It's unfortunate he won it uh, during that period because I think it definitely hurt Uh you know him as you know getting the title for the first time during that period it's uh, i don't think it would have done well for anybody 
No, of course not. Of course not. Um, you but know, he's really rebuilt himself up right now. He's just, you know, really over again. I mean, you talk about here's a guy who was, you know, part of three man band, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so he really has, you know, rejuvenated himself year after year after year. Uh, you know, it was it's it's strange, you know. But then you look at the um, the two cinematic matches at WrestleMania 36. And that was an admirable burst of creativity from WWE during a time when they were being criticized for not being creative, mm -hmm. for being stodgy. And, you know, you had, and look, I say this in the book, so I'm not making this up as I speak. And I've said this on other interviews. You know, you had the, uh, the Bray Wyatt match against John Cena, and that was like watching a racer head. And then you <laughs> yeah. had, you know, the movie of films. What was it? The Boneyard match between mm -hmm. The Undertaker and AJ Styles. And that was like watching John Wayne and True Grit. So, you know, you had two very different types of cinematic features in that WrestleMania. And maybe that's what that WrestleMania will be remembered for. Yeah, I think that probably would be the what you'd show highlights of, because at least like there's a cool visual, The Undertaker, you know, with the fire behind him and stuff. Right. To and, and then his old symbol is up on it flashed on the barn as as and his music plays and he drives off, you know, on his motorcycle. I mean, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Now I had. AEW doing the stadium stampede. <laughs> I'm and, a big fan of that. Yeah. That was fabulous. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, and that was one of the best things I saw all year round. I agree 100%. I'm glad I'm, I was glad you were into a lot of these things. You know, like, and then you had Jericho and MJF. They did that song and dance routine. I was also a big fan of that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I thought it was very amusing. Yeah. And again, it's COVID time. Right. So, you're working with limitations. Yeah. Yeah. If it was just on this week, I don't know what I think about it, but it was a bizarre times. And yes, it was. That's a good question. Like if they did that this week, <laughs> I don't know if I would like it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I would be very, I would be very, uh, just mind. I would boggle my mind, I think. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I dug it. Um, I do think I differ with you on the Thunderdome. I, I, it was something about I couldn't get into, but uh, you, you know, you were into it, so that was good. Whatever, you know what? Yeah. I'm not. I'm trying to be. Objective. I will agree that you know you were. They try to do the best, but in a bad situation. Right. Look, look. I'm trying to be. When I write these books, I'm trying to be objective, and I've never been the kind of fan who likes to bash and criticize and. Like, I remember when I was writing Flair's book, I was in the car with Flair and Triple H. And, you know, Flair, like, was saying, how come you don't take a stand and say, I didn't like this or I don't like this wrestler? And it's like, I've never written a book. I've never written a book. I've never taken a bump. So how <laughs> qualified am I? I don't know what challenges that person has. Maybe the limitations are on his opponent. Maybe it's just the chemistry between the two of them. But I don't want to bash something that I can't do. Mm -hmm. I think that's good. As I've gotten past my 40s, I try to take that uh, for everything. Because also it's very negative online. People hate every movie or TV show, right. uh, even if they don't watch it. It's like, well, why not just talk about something you actually like? It's probably a I better mean, thing. I had, when I wrote this book about the death of John Lennon in 2010, there was one guy who kept going on online and writing like terrible things about the book and i know it's the same guy because he used the same term he said logistical nightmare uh -huh. three people do not give me one star and use that term logistical nightmare it was sure. the same guy and i remember um i like said to my friends which i didn't have to do with too sweet with too sweet the positive reviews were positive. I didn't have to ask people to write positive reviews. But I went to, you know, my friends, Jesus, you have to write something nice about me here. I had like have like two stars on Amazon. So uh, my sister wrote something and then she changed her. I said, what'd you do? You have the same last name as me. Change your fucking name. <laughs> so she did. But the guy caught her and he writes back and he's like, isn't that interesting? 20 minutes ago, your name was Laurie Greenberg. Now it's something else. <laughs> and then Anthony Kelly, who used to write for WWF magazines with me, he writes something and the guy like, 
points him out. He's like, you you worked with Pete Elliott Greenberg at the WWF magazine. It's like, what's this guy like obsessed with my life? <laughs> uh, Jonathan Jackson, you're on Facebook. Uh, he wants, he had a question. Let me grab it real quick. Uh, do you have any encounters, any fun encounters with Vince Russo during your work with WWF magazine? Yes. Vince Russo is my friend. I'm not saying I agree with right. what he, what he's created. Mm-hmm. We can disagree on that, but he, he was, he's a good friend to me. He treated me really nicely. I feel I treated him nicely. And if I, if I saw him right now, we'd hug each other and we'd talk and we'd laugh and, you know, we would talk about things that might not even involve wrestling, though it's doubtful. <laughs> right. Yeah, I actually listened to an interview with uh, you did with him a few years ago, or he did with you, and uh, I thought you said something about like um, if you're a bad waiter, like they're not gonna they're not gonna judge you as like a person or something like that. But it's like the same thing. I I I can't say I'm friends with Vince Russo, but he's I'm always been very friendly with him. Always been super nice. Anytime I've asked him to come on the show. But that doesn't necessarily mean I think he's a great, you know, a lot right. of the wrestling I mean, stuff. You know, you're allowed to disagree. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's the wrestling business. We're here to be entertained. It just because you you, you may not like a storyline that someone wrote or even all the storylines <laughs> or most of them, you know, that doesn't mean you dislike the human being. Right. About uh, during that time, though, what did you think about his rise from, you know, he's writing the magazine? Well, he, was, the magazine he, totally he had a radio show. Right. He had um he was vicious Vinny, I think. <laughs> yeah. And um, so he had a radio show, and then he started writing like a column for the magazine, I think as a freelancer. And then he would kept like pitching ideas. And he was the one who said, let's change the magazine around. I mean, he was the one who really wanted to break kayfabe to a degree and i appreciated that because i was able to interview guys as themselves and talk about their character development with like respecting the fans respecting themselves and i was you know grateful to have that opportunity to be able to do that because it's something i never imagined i'd be doing writing for a wrestling magazine I remember getting the Vic Venom newsletter. It was around real briefly in the 90s. I think it might have been the first newsletter I ever read. Then I, like, you know, found Observer and all these things. But um, along those lines, um, as, you know, writer for the WWF magazine, what did you think of, like, uh, Wrestling Observer and and the the sheet? I mean, I always read Wrestling Observer. You know, as soon as I knew about it, I started reading it. I mean, look, Dave Meltzer, in terms of reporting, There'll never be anyone like Dave Meltzer again. And like Brian Solomon, who wrote the book, mm-hmm. um, who, who wrote, wrote the book Blood and Fire. Yeah. Also sheet. former guest on the show. Yeah, it was also, you know, uh, thanks to him, I've only written the second best wrestling book of the year because <laughs> his book came out. It's a very good uh, book. Yeah. It's a great book. But, um, you know, he says he does. He thinks not only does uh, has Dave Meltzer written um more words than any other wrestling writer. He thinks he's written more words than any writer ever. Because <laughs> that's, that's very that possible. Newsletters, seven point type. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I used. To, I um. I don't get the newsletter anymore. But I, for years, you know, over 10, 15 years, getting it. I'd always look forward as soon as I'd get it. No, I get it. And, like, I'm, and, yeah. and I'm actually doing a book signing in the UK this week, so I'm like oh, armed. Yeah. I have. You know, I I have three of these that I'm bringing. You know, I'm like purposely stocked up on wrestling observers so I can read them on the plane going over. Yeah. And once you start reading uh, Meltzer, I think you realize how many of the websites really just uh, repeat stuff from exactly, you. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And I remember, you know, Kenny McIntosh, who, you know, is one of the founders of Inside the Ropes magazine and is the Scottish guy who does those interview segments and does those Q&As where he brings legends over to the UK largely for for uh, interviews. Um, he, um, you know, in, in theaters, he like he'll tell me something and he'll go. Now, if I tell you this, he says with his Scottish brogue, you have to keep it really quiet. And he'll go sometimes go. Eat with his brogue, like even Dave Meltzer doesn't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
I love it. Yeah. So you mentioned going to the UK. Um, oh, what what would your be your favorite wrestling outside of the United States? Well, I mean, that's an interesting question too. I, you know, look, obviously, New Japan. Yeah. You know, is, is fabulous. My friend Walt, who um, Walt Schwenk, who does um d- does a podcast about wrestling books. He has been to WrestleMania. He's been to Wrestle Kingdom, and he has been, and he has been this year, like early, like a month ago or less. He went to CMLL's Anniversario in Mexico City, and he said his girlfriend like said to him, um, "You know, do people always cry during the opening match?" And he <laughs> joked around. He said he wanted to say to her, "Just me." <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you don't have a favorite, what's some of your favorite experiences? No, I mean, look, I, I'm, 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 you know, I'm interested in wrestling in England. I mean, I like the British strong style, you know. Um, you know, from I don't watch as much Rev, Rev Pro as I'd like to, but I enjoy it. And, like, I see, you know, talent there like Michael Oku, who we haven't seen in this country. You know, it was... I, I mentioned in the book, you know, Minoru Suzuki coming over, you know, doing a tour during the COVID era of the United States. That was very exciting. Mm-hmm. And I'm intrigued by the um, world of sport era of professional wrestling. You know, the say the, the 60s, 70s, uh, maybe early 80s in the UK when they'd wrestle in rounds by British rules. And, you know, I occasionally would find myself watching that stuff just for fun. Lucha Libre, you know, I enjoy some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a different art form. Even if they, they work opposite sides of the body, there's not always a lot of transitions between high spots, but when done well or when tweaked for an American or, or, or you know, a Western sensibility, it's excellent. I was at the Ric Flair retirement show and there was a lucha match as a prelim, and you saw all these like old old timers who were just there for nostalgia purposes to you know say goodbye to Ric Flair, and they were you know out of their seats screaming for those luchadors, you know. But you had um, who was it? it? You had Ray Phoenix in that match, so you know it was it was really really well done. Mm-hmm. Now your book's dedicated to your father Abe, who passed away. Yes. And um, so condolences. Uh, it's, it's it's over a year ago, uh, and he was senile, still, and he was uh, in his nineties. Oh, well, so, we yeah, lived a long life. Everything should be taken in. Sure. Well, I just want to say, what what did your family think of you? Uh, you know, becoming a, a writer in wrestling. Yeah, they like wrestling. They okay, like. They, I'm a third generation <laughs> fan. My grandparents were wrestling fans. My mother, when she, I found her high school autograph book. It said. You had to write things about yourself. It was favorite athlete, and she had Antonina Rocca in there. So, <laughs> you know, when you grow up like that, and then you go out into the world and try to become a professional writer, that's the one topic you know a bit about that maybe your competitors do not. Yeah. Well, I, well I'm glad that, that there. I, I grew up watching wrestling with my grandfather, too. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. He was a big Hogan fan. He loved all the baby faces. Um, I was definitely a heel guy. I loved Piper. And uh, where was your grandfather from? Uh, originally from Pennsylvania. We're in Pennsylvania. I'm not positive. Um, I know it was near the Mennonites because they used to barter with the Mennonites. Yeah. Or, well, there's a know. lot of Mennonites. I mean, my father grew up in Allentown and uh, certainly a lot of Mennonites. In fact, there are Mennonites married into my family because oh, wow. there's a lot of Mennonites there. Yeah. And when you, you know, rub against people, Sometimes you really rub against them and they become your relatives. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And my grandmother was Pennsylvania Dutch. And, uh, but yeah, I'm not positive. Uh, I should know where exactly they're from, but I- I'm not sure. But yeah, then they moved here. Um, well, I'm in Massachusetts. They moved to Massachusetts. I think did they the remain city. Mennonites? Oh, no, they weren't. Did they? They weren't Mennonites. No, they had a butcher <laughs> shop and they traded with meat to the Mennonites for, I think, uh, fruits and stuff. Yeah, because there's different. Um, I there's different orders of the Mennonites, just like there are different orders of the Amish. They're similar. 
And so there are Mennonites who don't who, who don't drive cars, mm-hmm. you know, and then there are Mennonites who are quite modern. But this isn't a show about Mennonites. No, it's not it's a show that's about my book. <laughs> that's my, other, that's my other podcast, Mennonite Hour. Which I like the cover, by the way. Who actually did the cover? Uh, there's um, it's the same group of artists who uh, who did my last cover uh, to Sweet Inside the Indie Wrestling Revolution. Uh, they're up in Toronto. And, um, you know, I you know, we, we had a discussion about, you know, how do we tell the story visually of pro wrestling in the covid era? And um I was unclear, you know, I was thinking, oh, we have pictures of this one and that one. And they're like, that's too confusing. And so um, follow the buzzards is a term that Bray Wyatt used. And it's very apropos for, uh, you know, what was going on during the COVID era. Mm -hmm. And so the artist was like, okay, let's start with that and see what I can do now. It's not literally Bray Wyatt. It's not trademarked. You right, know, right, right. The fiend. I won't tell it you. is a representation of something inspired by that and other great characters in the world of professional wrestling. Exactly. Um, so I'm going to bring up more of a, you know, a dark, uh, I guess a lot of this is dark, but um, the death of uh, Hannah Kimura and, um, you know, kind of the rise of social media and people being uh, cyber bullied. And so what would your advice be for a uh, young wrestler? For social media, because you kind of have to have social media. Well, you have to have social there. media because, look, and I say this in my last book, you know, you could do a move on an indie show in Perth, Australia, and then a month later, you're working for PWG in L.A., and, you know, a month after that, you are you could be at the Performance Center or on right. Dynamite or, or Elevation in Dark. Yeah. But, you know, like social media gives you exposure that just didn't exist in the past. I think what you have to do is just ignore people who are trolls and all the, all the negativity. Now, you know, it's easier said than done. I'm still talking about the guy who wrote those negative <laughs> reviews about me right. on Amazon 12 years ago, and I'm still mad about it. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's very true. So you finished, you finished this, the, the book before this, and then you have the pandemic and you have the rise of AEW. Now you finish this book and we have the end of the McMahon era and the rise. Yeah, of- I know. And people are asking me, you know, what do I do now? And I think I have to sit for a while and <laughs> see what, where everything shakes out. I mean, you know, after the media scrum, people were saying, that's it. It's the Triple H era. AEW is folding. You know, a, a year ago after Grand Slam, there were people saying to me that, you know, this was the moment when AEW overtook WWE and, you know, they were going to become the dominant promotion. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to kind of, you know, look, you, you give it a couple of months, you know, like now it's the honeymoon period between in the Triple H year because everything he's doing seems to be working and it seems to be immensely enjoyable. Um, you know, Tony Khan, the last couple of weeks after that awkwardness at the media scrum, he's put on some good shows and he got a big cheer at, uh, you know, Grand Slam last week when I was there. So he has to reevaluate and find his legs and, you know, maybe delegate a little bit. So he has, you know, he has his own version of Pat Patterson backstage. Yeah. You know, like Vince could always rely on Pat Patterson. Um, You know, so let's see what happens over the next couple of months before I start conceiving another wrestling book, because right now it's just too soon. Yeah. Yeah. It's an exciting time, though. Um, You see guys stepping up, you know, Moxley was supposed to go on vacation or whatever, and he's up. And then you see the rise of new stars like Acclaim. Like, they're like super over. so good. Yeah. 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 And then you see guys like Matt Menard. I'm like, how have I missed this? Guy? I, I talk about him every week on the show. He's one of my favorites. Even, yeah, if, he's great. even if he's not on it, just in the background, him, the facials and stuff. I just love him. Yeah. I mean, because he has it. Yeah. And I remember a young Randy Orton when he would, 
you know, when he'd come into the ring, like when he was a rookie, and he would just make certain gestures. And, and I think, what a pro, you know, it just works so well. You know, so, um, you know, you see this, this, this uh, you know, talent that's there and is, is there to entertain you. And, you know, look, the acclaimed, that's like a movement now. They're this year's Orange Cassidy. Yeah. Yeah, I've been a fan of them for a long time, but it's, it's, re- it's exciting and it's fun to see people, you know, uh, the fans that get so behind that pe- the pay per view match before the scrum with the uh, with acclaimed and um and swerve and um yeah it's strictly that was just that yeah. was so awesome yeah yeah and it was nice to see them win the title last yeah. week even though I love swerve and and and, and yeah. not swerve and strictly swerve and Keith Lee I love swerve and Keith Lee and you know now they're building up a storyline where there's like a little bit of tension between them and uh you know that's good it's wrestling it makes me want to watch yeah. Yeah, and you know, people have been wanting FTR to get the AEW belts, and now you have like two like super over teams, so it's an exciting time. Yeah, you don't yeah. know exactly what's going to be happening. So, um, some I want to ask because since, since you were a longtime writer for WWF magazine, and people always talk about the band terms in WWF, um, was that how was that like um, for you to write? Did they did they ever come to you like you can't use these certain terms? Yeah. Or was I mean, Vince would come to me personally and not in a disrespectful way either mm-hmm. uh, he would sometimes say you know there's no need to say squared circle anymore hey it's his company he's doing the branding i was appreciative that he was coming to me personally rather than like undermining me behind my back yeah. you know but um yeah there, there'd be terms that we we were told not to use um i was I'm trying to remember did I have to write only superstars at some point? Maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, I think it was going in. I think I still would write wrestler sometimes. You know, I would write grappler. I didn't get any, uh, you know, nobody ever complained about that. Um, yeah. I'm sure they would have preferred superstar, superstar, superstar. You know, I'd write Titan. I mean, you have to, like, vary it up. I'd write, um, you know, I, I, I might say combatant, you know, uh, gladiator, you know, there, there's terms you can use besides the band terms. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that belt we couldn't say for a long time, but right. you know, sometimes when I go in, uh, when I'll look at one of the old magazines I wrote for in the eighties and the nineties, belt is definitely in there. <laughs> All right. And, uh, I saw that you have an iron Sheik. I think two different iron Sheik unpublished uh, biographies. I do. Yes. And, yeah, I mean, look, I'd tell the story. Uh, there was 2008, I was asked to write the Iron Sheik's autobiography for WWE. And I remember it because we we watched uh, Barack Obama accept the Democratic nomination on TV, the Iron Sheik and I. And the Iron Sheik was using drugs at the time. And, you know, the book came out, didn't come out. You know, went to the publisher, Simon and Schuster, loved the book. And at that time, the Iron Sheik was on Howard Stern. So there was, you know, he he was generating a lot of attention. And uh, you know, and then uh, you know, it went through WWE because it was a WWE imprint, and they were like, We can't publish this. <laughs> and they got I was on the phone with a lawyer, and he said, uh, like, can you sanitize it? I go, then it's not gonna be the same right. book. You know, it's the Iron Sheik. And then he kicked drugs. And I wrote an article about him for Playboy magazine. And then WWE came back to me. And now they were affiliated with ECW Press, the same publisher that's doing Follow the Buzzards. And they're like, well, we want to put the Iron Sheik book out now. But, you know, you have to have him kicking drugs. I say, fine. So I got paid again. (laughs) <laughs> you know, the first time when they canceled the book, they paid me everything they owed me. Now they paid me a second time to rewrite the book. Yeah. And I said, okay, it's going now it's finally going to be published. And uh, I was up in the office. We were like selecting photos, myself and Steve Pantaleo, who was in, who's in, um, I guess, consumer products. And he's a co-wrote two versions of the WWE encyclopedia with me and some others. 
um, we were picking out photos. We were, we were having a good time. We were getting photos from the PWI archive, you know, really good stuff. And um, then the word came. I was told it was not from Vince. It was, but it was from somebody very high up who said, how does this help our brand? Because there's stories about smuggling drugs into Canada and, you know, riding around with Roddy Piper and then doing that literally mashing drugs in a mortar and pestle and and the cops pulling them over and then paying off the cops and the, the cop going to piper roddy i'm only doing this because i love you yeah they're, they're great stories they're, they're great stories and uh you know but they said has this helped the brand and hey I don't know. I mean, yeah. yes, well, I would love to read it. But yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, but interestingly, A&E is doing a biography on the Iron Sheik and they asked me to come on as one of the experts. Oh, cool. And so when I sat down to do the interview with the producer, Gil Knight, Gil had a copy of like a bootleg copy of the book. Oh, really? I'm going to have to and, go look um, this up. <laughs> like, and WWE gave it to him. So I thought the book was embargoed. Like I thought the books had been burned. Yeah. When I did Too Sweet and I was promoting that, a fan wrote me and said he paid $700 for one of those like advanced oh, wow. copies of one of the books and he resold it for $1,400. Now, I wouldn't do that because I feel that's not a an honest way for me to, to <laughs> right yeah you have a case of them somewhere you can just <laughs> like i wouldn't you know yeah, yeah. i can't bring myself to sell a wwf magazine <laughs> that i wrote for right you know? i just can't do it yeah. but i can sell my my current book because i'm supposed to do that yeah that's pretty wild uh, iron chic the only guest that ever hung up on me well but that was it was 2005 yeah, okay. uh, it was actually before he was on Stern, and he—it was my most downloaded interview ever, and it's—it's it's five minutes. And then I had him on a few years ago. It was a very nice interview. No one ever talks about it, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah. So, so I, I actually got along with him quite well. Yeah, yeah. yeah the so last I, time I had him on, very very sweet guy, actually. Yeah, he is a sweet guy, and he has a nice family too. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to mention to anybody uh, with an earshot. I have some events coming up related to uh, Follow the Buzzards um, on October 1st. I, as I mentioned, I I write uh, for Inside the Ropes magazine every month in, in the UK, and I have a column there. And um, that's part of the larger Inside the Ropes franchise. And when Kenny McIntosh brings people over to do these like interview segments in a theater, and then you people in the audience can ask questions. So... On October 1st, I will be signing books at the uh, William Regal event uh, for Inside the Ropes in Glasgow, Scotland. October 2nd, at another William Regal Q&A, I will be signing books in Manchester, England. And then on Wednesday, October 5th, I will be signing books at a Rob Van Dam uh, Q&A in, uh, in London. So that that's for uh, the people listening in the UK. Yeah. Well, I and, was just in England, and I and I met some listeners of the show in London. So I know a lot of people. Yeah. So you know. So I hope they show up. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'm hauling, you know, like it's massive, like wheelie suitcase full of books <laughs> over there. Um, and then on Thursday, October thirteenth. I will be having my release party and book signing at Lucky 13 in Brooklyn. That's known as New York City's only bikini metal bar. And there's a big space. And I was able to get access to that space because my oldest kid, Dylan Mars Greenberg, has shot numerous videos there. I'm and a big fan of the music. Yeah. And then, um, and then, so that's, Thursday, October 13th, everybody's invited. And then on Saturday, October 15th, I will be doing a signing at the Wrestling Universe in Queens, New York. And I understand the other uh, personality is Dean Malenko. Oh, so very cool. We'll be signing yeah. that day. Yeah. Oh, that's a good time. Yeah. 
and follow the buzzards pro wrestling in the age of COVID-19 comes out October 4th, I believe, which is my mother's 72nd birthday. That's, that's how they planned it. They did. Yeah. Yeah. They, they called me up to say like, yeah, I think that's a good idea, but, yeah. <laughs> but no, I really like it. And again, not just because you're, I really do like it. And I think people should check it out. All right. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah. And I really enjoy talking with you. Me too. As always. I don't think I've, have I spoken to you before? No, no, we've it's, for some reason, it was going to happen a few other times for some of the other books, and some reason it never happened. But. Yeah, well, this was a good interview. So it was oh, well, good. I appreciate that. We'll and do it again. The whole hour. Yeah. We'll yeah. do it again sometime. Good. It sounds great. It's too bad you're not in New York. I'd love to see you at the Yeah, party. I would love to go to that. That'd be great. Okay. But yeah, we'll, 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 we'll cross paths, I'm sure. All right. Very good. Thank right. you. Great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Andre was big, yeah, 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 it was not small, no, 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 Andre could drink, and he could fight, drink, 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 and a fight, 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 Andre was big, yeah, 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 it was not small, no, 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 Andre could drink, and he could fight, drink, 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 and a fight, 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 Andre the Giant, Andre was big, yeah, 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 it was not small, no, 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 Andre was great, he was not bad, a great big heart and a great big man, Andre was big, yeah, 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 it was not small, no, 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 Andre could drink, and he could fight, drink, 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 and a fight, 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 Andre the Giant, from Grenoble, France.